Welcome to the Student Podcast. Our goal is to act as a conduit for young people to help simplify complicated topics, concepts, and success stories into actionable pieces of intelligence they can use in their everyday lives. Today, we have Nate Orr on our team um, to jump into this conversation. Nate is with Spencer Fain. Um, I'll let him tell a little bit more about Spencer Fain. He has been working um, within the Kansas City. He's very, very well known within the Kansas City um, area, very committed to the KC, getting more people coming here. Um, and he, his, one of his biggest, most important clients for him and strongest devotion is Stephanie and their family. I want to make sure we put that in there for him. Um, I'll let Nate do some more of the talking. Um, Nate, welcome. Thanks, Cody. I'm happy to be here. What you just want to hear a little about about me and maybe about the firm or or just yeah kind of a little bit about your you wanna... yeah just a little bit about your journey so far. Tell us a little bit about um, the the firm. It's the most badass. We'll get deeper into it, but the most badass law firm you will ever hear about. I'm so happy to have you on here. Um, That's but I would love to just hear big picture a little bit about you and your background. Yeah, I'll 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 be brief. Um, and some of this is actually pertinent to I know some of the things we're going to talk about. Um, so I'm a I'm a KC guy. I was born and bred in KC. Um, my family moved to the Washington, D.C. area when I was a freshman in high school, and I, I finished up out there, and, and I came back out to, toward the Midwest when I got done with high school and was a KU guy for undergrad and was in St. Louis for law school, and I started at Spencer Fain uh, 21 years ago, which seems crazy because when you asked me to come on and talk to the young people, I thought I was one of the young people but I'm not anymore, but I feel like I am. <laughs> At heart. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've been a Spencer fan 21 years. It's a, it's, you know, I've had opportunities to go other places. It's an incredible law firm. I agree with you. I think it's the most badass law firm uh, in America. Um, and it's, a, you know, we've, we've, we've been very blessed to have some great growth over those 20 years. We've got 20 offices uh, across the U.S., headquartered in KC, full service business law firm. And I have a very uh, weird job for a guy at a firm like that, but we'll, we'll wait to get into that. I love that. And the other piece I would love um, is I know that you're a huge KC guy. I would love for you to kind of, that would be a cool thing to kind of dive a little bit into. Some of our viewers are not in Kansas City. What, what is, where's your passion for KC come? What's your vision for it? Some of those things that we've chatted about a little bit, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, um, I'll tell you, uh, you know, I've always loved KC, but growing up here as a kid, I think like a lot of kids anywhere, even if you grew up in Maui, you probably say this, you know, I can't wait to get out of here. I want to see something else. Uh, and I don't know if maybe if you're in Maui, you might not say that, but, but uh, <laughs> most places, you know, kids grow up and they want to go someplace. And I, I got sort of um, involuntarily uprooted and moved to DC. You know, it wasn't my choice. You know, my dad took a job out there um, and, and, you ask kind of what galvanized my love for this community. Um, it was frankly being out there in Washington, you know, and, 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 I, and we were, and I was around a lot of, you know, I was at a, an age where you've got kids aren't very nice sometimes and they don't say very savory things about the place you're from. And it really sort of, it, it calcified my love uh, for this, for this community and, and sticking up for it. And um, it actually put me on a journey toward wanting to, make KC the best place it could be and tell that story to the world. That's really kind of my core passion. Um, and so it really did come from that uprooting, uh, you know, gosh, 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I was curious. I never actually gotten to ask you that ever. So I'm, I'm happy we kind of dove into that. Um, the next piece I would love to talk a little bit about too is kind of call to adventure is, is the first step in the hero's journey. Um, most of our viewers are pretty familiar with that, with that kind of storyline already. Um, and so the biggest thing here is that we really, I believe there's multiple journeys you go on in your life. So I would love maybe one or two, or if you have one in mind that you think um, that initial call to adventure and maybe was there a refusal? Did you accept it completely? Like you're going to be a lawyer. You're like, no, I'm not. And now you are. Was there something like that? Or I would love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, for me, um, for me, work life and personal life, have there's really no delineation i mean you and i've talked about this before and being a lawyer is great and it is a big part of what i who i am and what i am but it's not really the even being a lawyer isn't really the personal brand that i wear i mean to me it's part of how i'm accomplishing what is really kind of more the core mission or adventure to which i think i was called which is um and it kind of weaves into what we were just talking about i 
when I was a really little kid, I got involved in leadership at, at my elementary school. And I watched my dad and my mom take on these civic roles and, and, and roles within the school, but even bigger civic roles. And, you know, my father was a kind of a, a pillar of the civic community here in Kansas City. And, um, you know, I knew, hey, I want to make a difference. I want to grow up and I want to make a difference in whatever community I'm going to be in. At that time, it, it was not Kansas City wasn't the focus, as I just mentioned. It was just I want to be involved. And so I did. I did. I did get involved. And, you know, I was president of the elementary school and, you know, little little things that were kind of cool no back then as a kid. Um, and, and, you know, that, that, that kind of call to adventure, I think kind of came at a very early age for me, um, you know, way back then, really just watching my folks. Interesting. And was there any pushback or feedback or not, sorry, pushback or, um, like from the people around you, like your peers at that time, like that's, that's so young, necessarily <laughs> like elementary school, um, was a pushback or, or some of the things you had to face as you were taking on more of those leadership roles, other people weren't necessarily interested in maybe, um, and some of the heat or flack or different things that, cause you were taking a little bit of a different path. Was there anything like that for you? You know, um, not as much at the elementary school level, you know, I mean, elementary school kids are kind of dicks sometimes. So, you know, they probably, there's maybe been some jealousy and things, but for me, where, where I hit kind of the, kind of the dark time or where I was getting pushback was um, when we got uprooted and we moved to DC, you know, here I had been this guy in Kansas city who'd always been real involved in school leadership and community leadership. And, and, and actually even as a young person getting involved in, in civic, you know, things that think kind of things you can get involved in, in junior high. Um, and when we moved out there, you know, I don't know a single person, right. I mean, I, I go from having this voice and, and feeling like I'm doing something important to just, I don't know anybody. And it was really a dark thing. I mean, it was a, um, it was a, it was, it kind of rattled my resolve a little bit to decide whether I was going to keep doing that. And, you know, it was to me, it was just head down baby steps, you know, join the football team. Cause it was, we moved there during the summer. I didn't know a single person. I was getting ready to go to the school in high school and I wasn't going to know anybody. And it was a gigantic high school. It was, you know, 5,000 kids in this high school in, out in oh, wow. Northern Virginia. So, you, you know, you go from being kind of a big fish in a little bit of a smaller pond at the school I've been at to a, a completely unknown fish in a gigantic pond. And, um, and that was, that was testy, you know, I mean, cause, uh, there was definitely some headwinds there dealing with high school kids and trying to get to know people. Yeah. It sounds like that'd be a good one to kind of talk a little bit. Maybe when we get to kind of the cave, a cave may have been in, um, as well. So I, we'll, we'll save some of the more deeper questions there as you were, um, developing even past um, like high school and some, some of those the cold adventures there when you're moving to college some people a lot of people think the cold adventure to going into law, law and those types of things how did that did that come from some of the civic things or how did that kind of I'm going to become a lawyer not like not everyone picks that path like that to me that's a call to adventure um, how did that kind of stir about was there a specific person or mentor that was in that field did it through your civic engagement you're like oh I see these people this is what they do how did that come about? Really a lot more the latter. Uh, I was the first person in, in our family to ever go to law school. So there wasn't any, you know, sort yeah. of familial mentor. Um, I didn't really know that many lawyers. I mean, I, you know, my parents had friends, some of whom were lawyers, but I didn't know any of them. I wish I had a more, a better story about my deliberate intention to become a lawyer. Um, the, 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 to be candid, I was probably hell, I may have made it to the fall semester of my senior year at KU before I decided I was going to go take the LSAT and do this. Um, so as I mentioned at the outset, being a lawyer became kind of just part of the overall stream that was moving along here. And, and because to me, what I really wanted to do was make a difference, right? I mean, I, I didn't know what the profession was going to be. I just knew, hey, I want to get involved. I want to be a leader. I want to make a difference in, in some way. And, and to your point, I'm sitting there senior year and I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. And, and I, you know, I'm a biology major. I thought I was going to go be a doctor, but uh, um, I'm not, not good with the blood. And so that was a bad idea. I've made some bad ideas along the years. Um, but, but lawyer became one where I thought, you know, lawyers do have an opportunity to shape communities and, and, and the nation and, and the world um, in, in special ways. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective for, uh, of that industry and law in general. I, I, I like that. Um, 
the uh, the next thing, the next kind of the piece would be kind of mentors, like right, who, who's your Yoda, who's your Obi Wan, your Qui Gon. <laughs> Only using Star Wars here. <laughs> there's tons, there's tons, but uh, that just seems to be a really good one. Did you have mentors along the way? Do you have mentors now? How is that? How have those things changed throughout your career? Um, if you could just speak a little bit to that. Yeah, it has shaped and changed. Um, you know, I think the two biggest mentors I've had are my parents. Just to be candid, I mean, both my mom and my dad, as I mentioned, were real involved um, civically and um, and made family really kind of a, a, a chief part of our lives. Um, my dad, probably a little bit more so, uh, was was uh, was involved in some pretty big roles uh, in in the Kansas City community. They, they were probably the biggest mentors, especially at that early age of shaping kind of, hey, I want to go do this undefined thing to help, you know, make the world better. Um, you know, other, other, I, you know, I, I have had some mentors, uh, inside the, um, the legal space, you know, as, as you and I've talked about, I, uh, my role at the firm is one that really is kind of, you know, uh, community facing for the firm and doing a lot of client development and, you know, kind of rainmaking and, 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 um, so, inside the firm, I have some folks that taught me about how to be a lawyer and how to be a leader. Um, but also outside the firm, I've watched some of the, you know, if you were, if you were going to to be, since we're talking Star Wars here to get nerdy on this, if you were going to act like being a lawyer was like, uh, you know, playing in the NBA, you know, I looked at like the greats, right? I watched some of these guys and gals that I knew had been huge business development people um, at other law firms. And, and I, and I, you know, I, 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 I spent time with them and I just kind of listened to their stories. And, and then the other thing is I looked at a lot of people that were civic leaders. Um, you know, my, my dad was blessed to have had some good relationships with the mayors of Kansas city back then. Um, I took that and, 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 and mimicked it. Uh, you know, I helped Sly James a whole bunch. He's the former, former mayor of Kansas city for those that aren't in the market. Um, a very, very popular figure for his eight years in term was very close with him and just tried to soak up and learn from him everything that's important to not only community leadership, but to my day job in terms of business development for the firm uh, and how to treat people and be professional and balance all these fractured um, approaches to life that we see in, in this country right now where we've never been more fractured. Right. Yeah. So uh, something that I <laughs> talked about this a little beforehand. So soak up, right? So when you're talking about, when you're around mentors, these younger people, right? When you say soak up, are you sitting there? Were you sitting there with like, hey, what do you, what does this mean? What is that? What is this? Were you following him around? Were you just driving all over KC with him? Was it like you had specific, let's sit down and I want you to just teach me stuff. Like when you say soak up, how did you get the information in? What does that mean? Um, or what was that relationship like? Maybe dive deeper yeah, that's there. That might be. I was going to say, you know, I, I probably should ask more questions and I don't. Um, I'm, a, I'm an observer. I mean, I really like to kind of just watch and see. And a lot, of, so much of it was just behavioral mannerisms. Um, you know, um, you know I, I'll make another example though about one that was, you know, was observation based, but probably did involve some questions too. Some of the, the partners at my law firm when I joined 21 years ago, I learned from them some of the really critical habits that I have that I know have made me wildly successful in terms of time management, um, systems and processes for making sure things don't fall through the cracks. I mean, I, I'm a person that believes that I, I don't care what line of work you're in. Every day and every week and every month and every year is really just a matter of managing inflow and outflow and making sure that boxes are getting checked and that you're accountable and people can rely on you. And, you know, it all adds into everything, whether it's responsiveness or, you know, all of that. I believe so much of success in life is order in of some, of some fashion. And each person I think has their own way of maintaining that order and, and systems and processes for making sure that, that, they're, that they're accomplishing things, right? Whether it's the daily grind task or whether it's the next big thing you need to tackle to get where you're going over 40 years, it's all process driven. So that's one thing that inside the actual law firm, I probably did ask more questions about of some of my mentors. I like that. And so, so time management, that is one that I feel like 
that you see, <laughs> especially the people that we're ch- talking to right now, uh, their phones and things that get in the way of some of this time management, they're wasting so much of it. Is there a specific time management tool that you have learned then that you still use today or something that's like, you are like, you will never, like for me, it's three most, one must. Every single night I establish what's the three things I need to get done tomorrow and what's the one most important thing. And I, that helps me not mess, like not do frivolous tasks without getting those done first. Like. Is there a staple that you use as far as time management? Well, so, you know, I'm, I'm in an industry that, that uh, the, the widget that we sell is time, right? I mean, we build by the hour. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, it, it's born into you when you come into the space that time is critically valuable. So there is probably just a little bit of an innate training that comes in for a person in my position that, that says, Hey, you know, you got to track this. And, 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 and in reality, of course we do. Um, I'm an old person. So, so I track that time in, you know, chicken scratch notes and I'm keeping track of kind of what's getting billed and what's not. Um, but you know, for, for, for most of the people in the firm, even people that are older than me, but are a little more IT savvy, you know, gosh, we get software and everything now where you, you know, you're clicking a button and it literally tracks how much time you're spending on everything. So you can hold yourself accountable at the end of the day and learn better for tomorrow. That's one thing that, that happens for me, um, time management and task management are kind of one and the same. And so for me, it's less about how I'm managing the time units and more about how I'm managing the task units. And so, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I implore our younger people at the firm, I don't care what your system is, but you need to absolutely manage these tasks. And what do I mean by that? I mean, something comes into you, whether it's by a text message or, you know, an email or a phone call or somebody pops in your doorway, whatever it is, it needs to be in that, those, you've been, you left that encounter with either something that you had to do or not. Every encounter gives you a task or you don't have one. If you don't have one, forget about it, right? You know, you, you, they gave you some information, there's literally nothing you need to do with it. Okay, process it, or maybe you need to store it someplace, that's a task. If you need to store it someplace, that's a task. If literally they just told you about it and you're like, great, that's funny, get the hell out of my office. That's not, but if you've got tasks, those things have got to go into one central repository. That to me, I think is the secret of life. For me, that central repository is just email. Now, I don't know if that's because, you know, of my age or whatever. I, I actually don't think it is. And I would implore our younger viewers. Right. It's the concept though, of being in one spot. Uh, yeah. Yes. It's but the I concept, would, not the exact thing. Yeah. Yes. And I would implore our younger viewers, even, you know, if they're like, well, I don't like email because it's fuddy-duddy shit and I need to be on whatever. I, I, email is a good place for this. And I'll tell you why. Because currently... Corporate America is set up for email to dovetail nicely with file sharing systems and all this stuff. And, and at least in business where I'm kind of focused on here a little bit, a lot of your communications are still coming in through that mechanism. But, but, right. but I'm going to tell you, if I get a phone call or I've got a text message that comes in or somebody shoots me something on LinkedIn or, or, or another social media platform, I immediately poured it over and it's in, it's, in, it's in the email. And here's why. Because you have the three-in-one Every day at the end of the day, I look at this inbox on my email. And if I've got more than like seven emails in there, I'm freaking out because anything that's sitting in there is something that's got to be done now. Meaning I don't even like going to bed knowing that it's not done, but it's going to have to be dealt with immediately the next day. How do I get it down to zero to seven per night? That's where you're kind of managing the way that you're taking stuff and storing it and doing whatever, right? Now, you may have just started out in your career and you don't have a lot of people that are working for you. Well, you can either leave them all in the inbox and that literally just becomes your longer list and you're going to have to not be like Nate Orr and freak out at night because there's stuff in there and you're right. just going to understand that there's 25 things in there and maybe you've moved the top ones to the top to your point, you know, three and one and 17 and five. And right, I, you know, I'm blessed now at this point to have a lot of, you know, people that kind of handle and manage. And, and so, you know, I'm, I do a lot of pushing and plugging and, you know, assigning, but I've also got kind of then backup reminder systems with, again, I'm blessed to have an assistant that can kind of help and manage that where my system for reminders and like all this stuff that I think has made me one of the most well-known responsive people in the business community in Kansas City 
is so draconian and overly nerdy, you wouldn't even believe it. But that is what works for me. It's a, it's a safety net that guarantees deadlines do not get blown on anything. I love that. I like, that's awesome. And that's perfect. This is exactly what I was hoping. Like, that is usable, beautiful information. Um, I, awesome. That's, that's, I appreciate that a ton. Um, I think our people will too. Even if it's not email, remember the biggest thing is having that, because I can attest personally, one of the most sought after people in KC and like response so quickly. It's crazy. Um, so I, that is very true. Um, we'll have to dive maybe, maybe next of, time. Can I say one other thing? The reason it's important yeah. to have one place is, I think that as busy as your days get, right, managing the job and, you know, personal relationships and everything that comes with in the world, you know, um, and the chaos that's going on, um, your brain really can only handle so many things, so many lists. And, and if you've got things in two or three places, something is going to fall through the cracks. I guarantee you, because you've got to have one, the buck stops here. Like, I don't care where that place is. Everything that I need to know that's going on in my life is right here, you know. So. Right. No, and I love that. You got so many, especially today, you're in your right. Channel capacity is what that's called neurologically. You can only hold five, three to five things upstairs um, before you really start dropping the ball on things. And so having that one place that you should go to, like that's uh, the most beautiful hack. Um, I like that. And I'm going to apply that myself because I am like, 20 text messages, 50 emails, like a thousand notifications on LinkedIn. It's like, holy crap. So I, I, I like that funneling into one thing. Um, can, I so. offer one, can I offer one cherry on the top of that is- Please. If you, if you get to a place where you are, you know, blessed to have the ability to kind of direct people that how you'd like for them to communicate with you, right? You know, you know like, hey, you want to talk to me? This is how you need to do it. Um, if you get to that place, diplomatically and politely share with people outside of your, you know, in and outside of your network. This is what's best for me. Like, you know, I have times I'm on LinkedIn and I've got times that people reach out on LinkedIn and I will always just politely say, Hey, look, it's great. I'm glad to hear from you. Look, you know, if you want to get on my calendar, you want to do this to communicate with me through email. I, I try to push everybody into that one channel, right? Gotcha. If for other people, their channel is something else, I try to respect that, right? You know, it may be that their channel is LinkedIn. And so I, you know, I, I go over there to try to talk to them. So it's a good idea to tell people because it will reduce the amount of work you have to do to start moving stuff back and forth between the channels. Right. The more they start to understand that, the more they reach out to you there first, as opposed to you happen to go play ping pong along all these different channels. That makes sense. Yeah. I like that. Um, so the next, the next piece is kind of the crossing the threshold, right? Spider-Man can start shooting some webs out. Luke can live ship with his mind. Um, getting into that place, um, I won't give you one, but I know just from you and I chatting, um, I, one that I think would be cool would be the, and you kind of mentioned it here too, um, and I don't want to dive too deep, but the business development within modeling, the modeling that you did with the business development people in law, that's not the most common necessarily thing that you see in a law firm and your vision that you had for Spencer Fain, like that's badass was like a, a, a theme you went for. Again, that's a, almost to me, that's a threshold. That's getting out of a box that an industry is kind of stuck in. So I think it'd be cool to talk about that one um, as, as kind of a threshold you've crossed over and what it was like to get into that space, pushback you may have gotten, things like that. Um, if there's any other ones, but we're happy to take it the way you'd like to go. But I thought that was a really awesome one. I think that probably is, I think that probably is the one, right? I mean, it's, if you, if you, if I look back and I think, what have I done that's been sort of entrepreneurial or unique, especially working inside of a 140 year old, big old lumbering law firm um, that, that these law firms are not known for being, you know, nimble and entrepreneurial. Although I will tell you, certainly, especially under the leadership of our most recent chairman over the last eight years, Spencer Fain has become a place where it's like a, it is like a, an entrepreneurial you know, incubator inside of the shell of this old law firm, which has made it a great place for me. And it's what enabled me to do this. But when I think back, you know, about anything I've done that would have been, you know, pivoting and entrepreneurial, um, it really was the development of that business model. Um, and, and, and part of the reason, I'll tell you, part of the reason that I decided to do it is keep in mind, lawyer second, community leader first right that's how i view my life the the law job pays for food and you know 
a roof and shelter, whatnot. water, the Maslow's, yeah, all that stuff, and the and the fun stuff. I like fun stuff, <laughs> you know, but you've got to pay for that, and and the law job pays for that, and it did afford me also, of course, access and the ability to get involved in the community. But I was trying to figure out a way where I could marry the two more uh, seamlessly. And so, as we've talked about, Cody, um, you know, I, I I sat back and I was trying to identify gaps in the market for, for our service delivery in our industry, right? We bill clients by the hour. Big law firms like mine usually work for, you know, companies of varying sizes, Fortune 100 companies, little LLCs, but all up and through there, we're helping businesses solve problems. And we charge by the hour, as I mentioned, and we don't charge a little bit by the hour. You know, the, the, the hourly rates have gotten pretty steep over the years because it is sophisticated, right. you know, guidance and it's, it's, it's important or that people wouldn't right. pay for it. Oh yeah. hundred percent. But as that's happened, um, businesses, um, have really started to figure out that, you know, they don't want, um, they don't want more than one lawyer kind of looking at an issue. And, and, and because if you got two lawyers looking at it, you got two billable hour units coming at you on the bill at the end of the month. Clock spinning, two clocks are spinning then, yeah. So about 30 or 40 years ago, they really started disincenting us from talking to each other inside of the law firms. Um, and what happened is you ended up with these siloed situations where lawyers were focused on writing down time and billing what they were billing and dealing with the client in front of them. And they, they weren't always thinking about things in the best way for the businesses and the businesses weren't getting the, the delivery of the services they should be getting because business problems don't exist in the little silos that we've created in the law firms. Right. <laughs> um, almost every time a client calls, I'd say more than 50% of the time, for sure, at least when a client calls me and they've got some business issue, it does not fit inside of one discipline inside of my law firm. It is going to require maybe one chief discipline with a little bit of a sprinkle of something else. Well, my model was going to be one that said, why don't I stop billing by the hour all the time? And why don't I go out to the marketplace and say, Hey guys, you need to get some legal sausage made because you have, you're running a business and you know, you've got a, you think you've got a legal problem. And right now you're picking uh, one of four different sausage makers that you know, cause you know them from, you know, church or traveling or you go boozing with them or whatever the hell it is that's the you're going to call this person or that person because you think that's the person and when you call them they're going to tell you that they're the sausage maker for you because they want to sell you some sausage and they're going to make you the one kind of sausage that they make and you're not going to get the, what you need what you really needed was andouille well and andouille has a lot of different ingredients but they're just going to make you like a bratwurst and and your business is going to suffer for that and so my idea was i want the business community to contact me and I'll go get all the sausage makers back behind me inside this 350 lawyer law firm. And we're going to make the andouille and you're going to get it. And you don't care how we made it. And it's going to be way more efficient because I'm going to be sitting at the top of the pyramid, cat birding the whole thing and making sure that everybody's only doing what they have to do. And we're not double billing. And oh, by the way, I'm going to provide that service for free because I'm going to start making all my money from business production instead of sitting there writing hours down and doing things that candidly, I don't want to be doing anyway because it's taken me out of the community and away from the business leaders in the community. And if I do this model, I can make a whole bunch of money that I can use to help reinvest back into the community. And I can do it in a way that has me out with community leadership and win, 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 win. And best of all, the clients get a way better service. And that was the idea that I had. Business production. Like we talked billable hours. Can you help? I know a lot of people will not understand the that profit model for a lawyer. Like when you say business production, how does that like like we were just kind of talking about how billable hours is how lawyers get paid. How do, how does that, how do you get paid if you're not billing the hours, help people with that concept? So at most, at most law firms, certainly the, the larger ones that service um, business clients, um, if you're a partner, uh, your compensation is sort of set at the beginning of the year and reconciled at the end of the year, really based on kind of just two categories of numbers for every dollar that came in the door, somebody found it and somebody worked it. And by worked it, I mean, they, you know, they, wrote down the 1.0 and they build that that increment of time because they wrote the brief or they went to the hearing or they whatever you got on the phone and talked through a regulatory issue related to COVID. The service yeah and so you know and and law firms value both things and most partners in these big law firms do a good job of both things you know they, they go find some business and they're out promoting what they do and 
and the firm a little bit in general, but really kind of what they do and they find clients and they work on it and they, you know, they assign some of it to some people and it, it's good. It's a symbiotic relationship, finders and grinders, right? I mean, every industry has finders and grinders. Right. And my idea was, you know, if I show some value, some really, really high value in finding like value that could be unprecedented, then I don't need to spend as much time grinding because I'm providing value to the firm from finding and finding more than you would otherwise, because I'm so devoted to the finding. And that's really it is I get paid. You know, when I say production, it's finding dollars and then right. bringing it in, getting it assigned to the various people managing it. I don't just throw it over the fence to somebody to make the sausage. I mean, it's, it's time consuming to keep all the balls in the air and make sure that you're, getting sausages and getting them back out on the deadlines, you know? Right. And I, so then when you were crossing this threshold into, was there pushback? Was there kickback? Was there, why would you do that? Why would you not? What, what, was there any trial stipulations? People that are like, what are you doing, Nate? Or whether maybe not even specifically within Spencer Fane, but even like in the community or things like that, was there pushback that you had on that? Like, I don't believe that will work type people. Um. You know, I think I benefited from a couple of things there was, but not a lot. And I think I benefited for a couple of reasons. One would be, um, I didn't just think of this 15 years ago and then just turn it on. Um, it, 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 in that first year and a half, it, it evolved a little bit slowly, right? It wasn't like I stood up in the partner meeting as a 32 year old brand new baby partner and said, Hey, everybody, I got this great idea. So, you know, get on board or get out of my way. And that didn't happen. Um, you know, That's I did good, talk though. Certain- this is huge. There's so many younger people that have these ideas. And it's like, oh, yeah, you just mystically have this idea and you execute on this. I'm going to do production. Like, this is good. Please keep going. This is amazing. Yes. Yeah. No. So, I mean, number one, you know, you want to, if you're going to change a model, you have to be disruptive in some ways. And, and I do, I do think, and Cody, you and I've talked about this. There's a lot of younger people that think, oh man, disruption, disruptor, disruptor is such a common term. Now I'm a disruptor. I'm going to be a disruptor. Well, you know, there's, there's, <laughs> there's a way to disrupt that is still professional and diplomatic and not storming the Capitol building. Right. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's, there is a, there's a means to changing the way that the world or your industry or whatever does things that doesn't have you being an a-hole, right? And so, right. you know, you don't stand up on a soapbox and pronounce this to everybody. You, you make a pronouncement, you, 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 you make a plan, and then you work on getting some buy-in, right? And you demonstrate that the model is working, right? I mean, you, I, I, at that time, I did talk to some of my brand new partners and I said, you know, I think I'm going to focus on this. I think I could do it. I think I'm going to be good at it. I think it would be good for the firm. I think it'd be great for the clients. And then you start to do it and you proof of concept the thing and it just starts to morph. And to be candid, I probably sit here 15 years later and or you know, 13, 14 years later and look back and in my brain, I probably do give myself more credit than I deserve for having made some proclamation. In reality, I do know that in the beginning, those first couple of years, it was growing, it was morphing and I was getting the word out. And it's only really the last five or six, seven years that I... I even get so bold as to just put it out to the community. This is the model. This is what I do. Frankly, this right. is what we should all be doing. Right now, I like that. That that that's I love the something I t- I talk with a lot of people I work with, like especially in coaching, is result, plan, action. And so, like you had the result in mind that you saw that you wanted a new model and a new way to do business. You kind of had the plan, and then you took action. So. The thing that I will mention is that there are a lot of people that get stuck in this middle one, plan, 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 think, 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 I could, I could, I could. And like most of what you just said is I took action. I went and did it. You say you talked to a couple of people, was that bred into you, the action portion? Because stuff doesn't get done if you don't take action, right? No million dollar ideas, right? There's million dollar execution. So is there, is that something that was bred into you? Was that just by the nature of, yeah, I'm just going to take action on this? Did you have a mentor that was like, yes, you should definitely do that? Or how did you... Because not everyone's there. Like, I know it feels like maybe, but uh, was there from idea to action for you? Here's what I'll tell you. I, um, yeah, probably the mentors I've mentioned instilled that in some way. But what I, the concept that I would say drove that is this, excuse me, to make it back to the 
it may get back to the, the whole task management thing. And I'm, I probably drive people nuts a bit with this because I'm so black and white on it. But I say, if you've got something that needs to be addressed, you do it, right? So, so uh, for instance, um, I, I don't, there's no long-term deliberation, right? It's not, things don't go into the, I don't know if I'm going to do that bucket, right? Like every single toggle <laughs> switch that I run into, it's like a fork in the road. And I'm like, am I going this way or this way? Okay. That's not that, not that way. Never going back down that path. Here we go. And, and it's, you, you may come back around there somehow. You might, you might do some more of these and come back around and go, Oh, that was stupid. I should have come back around to that, but it's never looking backwards. And it's never, um, it's never, it drives people that I know nuts sometimes because they'll, it's, it's even on little things, right? Like, um, Hey, uh, do you want some tickets to the AFC championship game this weekend? Um, well, I'm going to make a decision right then. You know, are, are you worried about COVID? Or are you going to go? Are you take the client? You're going to, you know, uh, no, I'm just picking right now. I, I, analyze the pros and the cons, make a decision, go. That's what I'd say more than anything is just. So there is an analysis. It may happen fast and it may drive people crazy, but in your head, like the process mentally at least is, it's not just some frivolous, oh, that road looks shinier. There is like pros and cons or how does, Absolutely. even if it's really fast, what, okay. Absolutely. It's, it's all logic driven. There's it, absolutely strategy gotcha. and analysis behind it. And I don't want you to think that like, uh, you know, everything is, is, is that quick trigger, right? You know, should we have another baby? Uh, yes. You know, like, no, it, it, you know. It's, <laughs> oh boy. There, there are some things where, you know, you're going to take some time, but even on those, I don't spend time thinking about what I have to think about. If you follow me, I say, okay, I know a decision has to be made on this. And I actually do know a decision has to be made on this by a certain date. Well, that's going to go into the system and the reminder safety net thing I talked about earlier with the assistant. And once it goes over into that safety net where the reminder is going to pop up and tell me you got two days to make this decision. I don't think about it until the reminder comes again. If I, unless I do, I mean, I don't worry about thinking about it because it's in there. And to your point, I love that. I don't remember what you said that the, the channeling. The oh, channel capacity. Yeah. Channel capacity. I love that. You know, you know, I've read that, you know, President Obama um, was the kind of guy who, you know, he didn't even pick out the clothes he wore. He didn't pick out the food he ate. He, he didn't make these daily choices because there was only so much capacity in his mind to be making bigger decisions that were obviously for the greater good than what kind of ham he was going to have with his omelet. And so for me, when I know I've got to make the decision, it immediately goes into, can a decision be made immediately? That's like the first decision is, can the decision be made immediately? Um, and right. if the answer is yes, then it's made and we're gone. And I don't look back, you know, it's made, got to go. If the decision doesn't have to be made immediately, when does it have to be made by? Okay, that's the deadline. Think on it for a few minutes if I want to put it over here. Don't think about it again because of my channel capacity uh, problem. And then when it pops back up, I have the, the, I have at least the retrospect of having spent, you know, a couple weeks, maybe not thinking about it the whole time, but I just have perspective. Right. And I've had time to kind of think about it. And it may be that I'll set, depending on how big a decision it is, I'll set that reminder for a full week before the real deadline. Cause it just brings mm. it back up again and say, okay, you gotta do this. But, but my point mentally chew a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. My point to you in all this is, don't belabor things. You just, you can't. And if, and if you're sitting there as me 13, 14 years ago going, I think this could work, you know, should I do it or should I not do it? I don't know. Let's think about it and keep analyzing it for two years and leave a bunch of money on the table or not right. be as happy. Analysis paralysis. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's awesome. And it's interesting too, the, because you're hundred percent right. The stuff like Obama, there's tons of people that do that. Um, because your brain, it's one of its, the most draining on the energy of your brain is decision-making. It's a prediction machine. And so when you are weight, the what, it's crazy that what you have kind of pieced together just, just by happenstance, not necessarily knowing the science necessarily, but the, 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 that system that you have that keeps those decisions like less in your brain is less draining. There's so many people that are like thinking about 50, three or four different types of decisions and each is draining them independently. But what seems like with your system, you've kind of got it down like, okay, tons of mental energy on this one thing decided. And it's really quick once you get to that point. So that's, that's awesome. I like that a lot. Like, like oh, I think we, we dove ahead a little bit, got into one of your superpowers. That is for sure a superpower if you ask me. Um, 
before we get fully, like I'll ask you about another one here, um, a cave kind of, it seemed like I wrote, I've, I've been writing some notes. Um, and one of the ones that might, it sounded like a bit of a cave when you, younger was the move to DC. There's some headwinds and things, but, but was there any other low points or points where it wasn't like this bright shining future, like you dipped, um, you dip down and it's like, oh crap, kind of like the, I described Superman having kryptonite around him before he could fly around the world or like all hope is lost type moment. Even if it wasn't like a, I'm about to die type thing, were there moments yeah. like that? And how'd you get through that? Um, you know, the, the, the DC move was probably the big one, right? I mean, in terms of, as, I, as you were talking to me about the concept of, the, of these, of these, these podcasts and, 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 you know, the, the, the journey and story and all this stuff. Um, that's probably the one that, that fits the most in terms of shaping me into wanting to do what we, what we just kind of talked about, you know, in terms of changing right. the industry. That, that's probably the one. I, you know, the other ones, you know, like any person, um, there's personal ones that come along, right? You know, deaths in the family or, uh, you know, changes in, in, you know, relationship status. And so some of those, of course, are, you know, those are dark times and they're, and they're, they're tough and they're headwinds. They're more emotional. Um, I do think they build strength and resolve, but the, the move to DC is probably the one that if I think about it, pivoted me the most in terms of just going from being a kid who, you know, kind of wanted to be a leader and enjoyed doing it. Um, but always knew he kind of wanted to just maybe like get out of town or go experience something else or do something. That's the one that really kind of, I believe shaped me more than anything in terms of making me the person that I am, which is, you know, kind of, you know, family first and then KC. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I think of the city as a, as a member of the family and, and that happened during the cave. Interesting. So what, help us a little bit with, with, with what that looked like or what it was like, what it feel like, what were some, when you say cave or the headwind, what were, was there examples of that? Because if you really think about it, they're like, this is a huge issue for a lot of the people I talk with. And in this group, 18 year olds are shifting from high school into college where they're going from a smaller place, big fish, small pond to a, you go to Mizzou, you go to a state school, you're in thousands and thousands of people. So they deal with some of this stuff when they go into college and then same thing, college in the real world. I mean, you are really, a lot of these kids are getting punched in the face pretty hard. So when you were like, what, what were some of the, those moments for you and what did you learn or, or what did you take from the, that, that case? So I was trying to think about a way that would make it relevant to everybody, right? Not just in my, you know, <clears throat> my isolated specific subject matter cave that was associated with that was this defense of the hometown, right? That kind of galvanized mm -hmm. the pride and want to, to make it the very best place it can be so that you can, you know, pound on your chest and, you know, not be humble little old Kansas City, but be like, hey, no, this is literally the next, next Austin or, or Nashville um, times three, you know, that kind of, to me, that was the, that, that was the, that was the personal cave experience. So I was trying to think about, you know, something that, to make it more general to your point to, for the benefit of the folks that are watching this. And, um, and so to get back to the, the size theme, <clears throat> I do think that kind of my, what my, what my suggestion would be is that you take, I think you take strength, from um, some of those challenges of perceived smallness or slight, right? And I'm not talking about cities anymore. I'm talking about, to your point, you know, you go off to MU or KU or, you know, Michigan or wherever you're going to go and you've been at a small right. school and you get in there and you think to yourself, even if people there aren't saying like, I can't believe you're from this little hillbilly high school and you're not going to make it. They're not going to probably say that to you. But you might internalize some of that. You might internalize and say, boy, I don't know if I can do this, right? I wanted to do this. I wanted to go to Michigan and I wanted to try this out, but uh, this may not be for me. And I, I, might, I, might, I might think about just going home. And to be honest with you, I'm going to be honest with you. This is going to sound crazy given the fact that I just told you that my high school experience galvanized my desire to get back to the Kansas City area. When I got to KU and I had been there for, I think it was the third semester I was there, I started to miss a bunch of my buddies in DC and I started to feel like, and I, and I had gone from, even though it was a very big high school, KU is obviously a much bigger institution. I had the same thing again. Now this one didn't involve, you know, sticking up for my hometown. I, I just, I started to feel there like 
maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm not supposed to come back out into the Midwest and maybe I'm not going to be in the KC area. Maybe I do just need to go back to the East coast and I'm going to go to this. There was even in that, there was doubt. And it was more along the lines of what I was just telling you in terms of feeling small or feeling like you don't have what it takes or feeling like you're getting lost in the shuffle. And I had that. And and I really thought about leaving, but I, but my point to you is I think you find strength and resolve in that perceived smallness. And you start to, at least if you of a certain makeup, you, you put more drive into yourself and you go, oh, no, I'm not going to let this, I'm not giving up on this. And I'm, I'm not, was, was there a moment you did that? Or was there a specific thing? Was it like, cause that voice I taught, I coach a ton. Why does this voice talk so much shit between my ears? And like that, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I'm like, was there a specific thing that you did? Was there a specific technique you used like to start switching around? No, I can do this. Screw, screw you auto thoughts. Like I can, whatever. Was there a moment you kind of like that, that, maybe not a moment or a set of them or an experience or something that helped you push through some of that stuff? Um, I think each time it was getting to the, almost the end. I'm just kind of built to be a person that if I feel like failures, like at the doorstep, that that's really when you lean in on the door and you fight like hell. And so for me, you know, on the, on the moving back to DC thing, or, you know, transferring to a school out there. Um, I saw that as being a, uh, I, I saw that as being a, a, um, a loss, right. It would be a defeat. It would be, you know, it'd be me going, yeah, I gave this a try and I, and I failed and I'm not going to fail. I'm going to make it through this. And so, you know, when you right up to the moment where you're like, I'm going to call my folks and tell them I'm transferring to Virginia or whatever, Right when you get to that moment, for me anyway, I'm just wired to be like, no, I don't know how much cussing we can do on here, but I was like, no, F that. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm sticking this out. I'm going to make it work. You know, and here's the other thing. I love a, I love a, um, a perceived chip on the shoulder. Okay. You know, they talk about how, you know, Michael Jordan always thought he had a chip. I mean, people were doubting him. It's like, don't be absurd. You're Michael Jordan. Now we got Pat Mahomes, they say, thrives from the same thing. You know, he's constantly going, nobody believes in us. They don't think we can do it. Come on, guys. You won the Super Bowl last year. You could have won every game this year by 30. I mean, you know, like nobody's sliding you. Creating that perceived slight propels, I think, the great ones to say, I'm going to make it. And I think, look, you know more about this than I do, Cody. That's interesting. I'm I'm not a neurologist. I admitted to everybody on here that I'm a failed doctor. Okay. Remember I was a biology major that couldn't be a doctor. Um, but, but I do think, I believe in the neurology behind wanting to prove when people think you can't, that's such a powerful thing. And so for me, when I was in, you know, to use my two, I guess, back and forth things here, when I was in DC and everybody's going, KC sucks and there's no buildings taller than one story. And there's probably tumbleweeds blowing through there and, you know, just, wanting to be like, you people are idiots. Like it's a great town. Right. Drove me to want to come back and show the world how great the place could be. Well, when I was at, when I was at KU uh, and I was, um, you know, not focusing on the books the way I needed to and doing some other things I shouldn't be doing. The extracurriculars. extracurriculars, (laughs) Grades were slipping. And this was around the time I was thinking about transferring. I had a career counselor person in the biology department who I went to see and I told her, she was an older lady. I remember exactly what she looks like. Don't remember her name. And I, I had my, you know, I'm like, have my hat in my hand. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I got these grades are terrible. I, I'm never going to get into medical school. And she says, medical school, you're never going to go to graduate school. You literally need to start thinking about a job where you get paid an hourly wage because you're not going to be a professional. And just blew my hair back. And I don't know if she was doing it to try to create some drive. I don't think so. I think she was just a nasty bitch. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm telling you what, I walked out of that office. And after I had a pity party for about 24 hours, I literally picked myself up and I said, I'm going to show that lady. I'm going to, you watch, watch lady. You watch me do it. Hell and, yes. And I'm telling you, I think that me, that meeting kept me at KU it kept me driving. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no idea about law school, but I've taken that into every single thing I've done since then. That is so interesting. Like you hear all of this stuff, like find motivation, give your affirmations, do all your kind of stuff, but you don't necessarily hear this, find your haters and have them, the people that doubt you put that chip on your shoulder. That I love that. That is 
That's awesome. If nobody's slighting you, make up a perceived slight. That's what Michael Jordan and Pat Mahomes do. And I, I think the great ones in the business community do it. They create perceived slights so that they can prove to the world that they can be amazing. Right. Like the, 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 uh, tell me I can't, I dare you to, like, that's my favorite thing when someone doubts me, like I, now you're making me think a little bit too. Like when I push through things like that, someone was like, you can't do that. No way. I'm like, what? Let's go. Like, so that's, it's interesting because now I'm kind of getting jacked up a little bit too, thinking of some of those moments in my own life. So that's, that's impactful. I like that. I, we're going to, I'm going to clip this segment. That was a good little vibe we had there. Um, the uh, which took us right to time, honestly, um, and perfect timing too. Our last question is, a li- is is more kind of future scape a little bit anyway. So um, the last thing I u- I typically ask is kind of your next higher plane, right? You've kind of gotten to a place in your life where you've gotten some things figured out. You've gotten some of the dials figured out. Signs like the I feel like there's all these different camps. Financials is one. Maybe family. Maybe business. Maybe you've got some of that worked out. What's your next higher plane? What's your current mission? What is your purpose that wakes you up in the morning? What are you attacking? That kind of stuff. Now that you've got some of these other things fine-tuned, what's that next higher plane for you? Um, I really would like to see both, you know, like the personal journey and the professional journey culminate in kind of holding up the the championship trophy that I've been dreaming about the whole time. And by that, I mean, um, really focusing on trying to be a better person, you know, just trying to, you know, I, I really do. And I didn't, I didn't until about five years ago. I really do adhere to the notion that you can absolutely, it's not lip service to say you can keep getting better or keep being a better person or keep learning how to be a better human being to other people. I absolutely believe that. And and it's partly through some experiences I've had over the last five or six years, but I want to keep working on just being a better person, being a better human being. That's a, that's a big one for me. Um, and then in conjunction with that, you know, just taking all the work that I've tried to do to equip myself with skill sets and tools to make an impact on the community to actually, and I think I have, but to, to see that through, right. You know, to, to be standing there at the end before they put you in the dirt and look back and say, wow, man, we really did something there. We really made a big difference. And, you know, my kids are going to benefit and they're going to live in a better city and a better hopefully nation and world because of those things. And so that's what I really want to do. Use the tools that I've built to finish the job. I love that. Um, And so um, is there anything, if someone was interested in reaching out to you, is there a good place? I think they know email is a good place to get you at, but is there a place? Cause you probably guard that I would guess, but is there a better place for them to maybe reach out? Um, I'll tell you what, you know what, I'll tell you. um, If you go to www.spencerfane.com, S P E N C E R. F as in Frank, A-N-E.com. And you look at the, there's a, a link called attorneys. Just drop down, find me in the O's, Nador. Go to that bio. My email's on there. And my mobile phone's on there. And if you want to wow. reach out to me, you can use either one of those. Um, I prefer email. And then we'll get a call scheduled and I'll get on the phone. But it's all on there. My office number, my mobile phone, and my email. And if anybody wants to talk or, or I can help in some way, please reach out there. Heck yeah, that's amazing. I, I that's especially with the story you just got. That's amazing. So I appreciate that so much, and thank thank you so much for coming on today. Um, is there any last piece of advice or anything else that you kind of like? To, I, I like to give the last word to the guest. Usually, you've given so much, but is there any last piece that you that you're still locked in there or anything like that? Uh, absolutely, have fun with whatever you take from this and whatever you do with your life. You should be having fun every single moment of every single day. Find the fun because if you're not having fun, you're not going to want to do it. And if you don't want to do it, you're going to suck at it. <laughs> There we go. Well, I appreciate you taking some time today. Um, and thank you everyone else for tuning in. Uh, jump on next week again for another session with us on the student. Um, thank you again, Nate. Um, and peace out, everyone.